Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Evan Lutz of Hungry Harvest, a farm-to-doorstep produce delivery service on a mission to end food waste and hunger. Perhaps you've used a grocery delivery service, but why not go directly to the source from the farmers with healthy, sustainable foods? Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Evan Lutz of Hungry Harvest. Evan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Really appreciate it. Of course. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? Uh, I grew up in Baltimore, uh, just outside of Baltimore in a suburb called Pikesville. Um, my childhood was very uh, was very fun, I would say. Uh, you know, I, I did a lot of outdoor activities. I, I liked to... Um, I like to always like go hiking and go canoeing and kayaking. Like camp was a really big thing uh, when, when I was, when I was growing up and I grew up with this idea of sort of repairing the world of um, making the world a better place than where I found it. Uh, just like you would leave somebody's house, you know, leave, leave, if you were a guest in somebody's house, you try to leave it better than when you found it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and so that, that idea was kind of instilled um, in me by my parents and, or by my community. And um, I like to think that that inspired some of what we do at Hungry Harvest. Mm. Incredible. So what did you or your parents do growing up and kind of what were some of your aspirations, especially during those younger years? I'm curious, were you involved with sports or what, what was that like? Yeah, I was always a, a runner. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I I ran a lot of track and cross country, but I was a very active kid. I was always playing in the neighborhoods, uh, football, basketball, any sport um, was, was sort of my... I couldn't stop running around. I was like an energizer buddy when I was a kid. Mm. Um, but we did uh, we did a lot of volunteering and volunteer trips. And uh, I think we grew up, um, we, I don't think we were uh, wealthy by any means, but we certainly uh, had food on the table every single night. And that was, um, that was very privileged. And that was sort of that, that perspective was, uh, was taught to us. Um, was not to take things for granted, to understand that there are others not they're not as fortunate, and that you know we've got to kind of work to um, work to feed yourself and feed your family, and that was like a very big principle when I was growing up. So um, I would say there was a big component of like giving back to the community that was a central part to my later childhood or early adolescent years, mm, for sure. So uh, for college then, where did you end up studying? And then what did you study there and kind of why? What were some of those aspirations leading there? So I went to the University of Maryland. Uh, you can see a map of the Maryland, state of Maryland behind me. Uh, it's mm-hmm. where my, uh, my both my parents went there, my aunts and uncles went there. Even my grandma graduated there in 1953. Wow. Uh, it's where I met my wife. Um, 11 members of my family went to University of Maryland. Wow. Uh, I, I studied business there uh, yeah. primarily because I've always been fascinated by entrepreneurship. And particular, mm-hmm. particularly this idea of combining social value um, with entrepreneurship mm-hmm. so that you, the more profits or revenues or growth you have using those same levers, also the more you know impact you could create, right? Whatever mm-hmm. that impact might be. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, I just knew that something involving social value and, and business. Mm-hmm. At first, I wanted to do corporate social responsibility. Yeah. Uh, I looked into nonprofits. I looked into a lot of different forms of, of volunteering. Um, I ultimately decided, and well, l- through learning in business school, that 
uh, the best way to create more impact is by scaling a, a business. Yeah. So I studied business. Um, I studied general business. Didn't have any really subspecialties. So I studied, uh, took a few finance courses, accounting, operations, supply chain, marketing. Um, and so there were there were a number of different. I sort of got the uh, 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 overview of of every major component of a business, but didn't really do a deep dive into one particular thing like a lot of my friends or colleagues do. And that yep. was somewhat intentional, right? I didn't really know what partic- particular area of business that I wanted to go into. And so I wanted yeah. more of a, a broader overview. Um, but I really enjoyed my time at Maryland. Mm-hmm. It was, I was uh, four of the best years of my life. It was great. Certainly. So uh, following graduation then and prior to Hungry Harvest, what kind of jobs were you working? Uh, I saw you kind of got into marketing, some operations side. Uh, can you ex- explain that? Yeah, I actually started Hungry Harvest when I was in college. Um, really? Okay. I had, I had worked... Uh, a couple of internships uh, through through college. I worked for Under Armour as an events intern. I worked for a uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce uh, Foundation um, mm-hmm. as sort of a research intern, and <clears throat> I had worked on a political campaign as well um, that was going from high school to to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I only worked, and I did you know as, as a kid, I did odd jobs like caddying and cutting grass and things like that. Yeah. Um, but in terms of business experience, I really didn't have any <laughs> when wow. I started Hungry Harvest. I learned about a farmer uh, who had surplus produce on his field, and he had trouble selling that produce. Um, I went out to his farm to see these half green, half red peppers and these eggplants with funny limbs and these uh, oranges that had funny scars on the outside um, that were half green. And so uh, I saw there was a business opportunity here because he was going to you know, let it go to waste. Um, I bought it for pennies on the dollar and then sold it for uh, a margin uh, to students at the University of Maryland. Um, mm. Set up a little farm stand outside of our student union. Uh, by the end of the semester, I had like 500 customers a week. Wow. Um, I never thought it was really going to take off, uh, but it did. There was a really big market for this at Maryland. And when I was doing this pilot program for Hungry Harvest, this was back in 2013, Yep. Uh, I realized I did some research and realized that there's about 40% of everything we grow in the United States ultimately goes to waste. Mm-hmm. Um, 20 billion pounds of produce go to waste every single year. There's mm-hmm. a huge market for the ar- arbitrage of this yeah. produce, uh, of turning it into uh, value added goods or, or turning it into um, you know, revenue streams. And so I decided to say, uh, screw it. I'll just give it a try. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was lucky enough to be able to live at home for a couple of years after college. So I didn't have to deal with, uh, expenses of, of rent. Um, I also didn't have a family to pay for. My car was my grandfather's hand-me-down. So I didn't have a ton of expenses, uh, which is a great time to start a business, right? When you don't have a ton of experience, don't have a ton of expenses and you can just kind of, um, be very, uh, I'm not very risk averse, right? I, I, I enjoy taking risks and wanted yeah. to at least experiment with things post-college. So uh, that's when I start, kind of started this entrepreneurial journey. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Evan's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, The Washington Hotel. I had a trip in New York City last week to visit the New York Stock Exchange with Peter Tuckman, who was also a guest on Starting Small Before. 
So I was looking for a location where I could stay that would be convenient for a financial district to quickly commute to the New York Stock Exchange and a couple other attractions I wanted to visit. So I checked out the Washington Hotel by Lux Urban Hotels. I could not have found a better location with the amenities offered and also the beautiful and spacious rooms. When you walk in, there's going to be a beautiful viewing deck where you can work on, you can look out into the One World Trade Center. And also quickly, once you leave the place, you can go to access any shopping centers. You can go to the New York Stock Exchange anywhere else you may want to go in the financial district. To be completely honest, the Washington Hotel is very affordable for your stay, and you're not going to find rooms that spacious, that clean, and in an overall facility that beautiful in New York City. I highly recommend a stay. If you're in New York City at the Washington Hotel, make sure to check them out for yourself at WashingtonLX.com. That's WashingtonLX.com, and enjoy the rest of the episode. So you built this internal customer base through the university. I'm curious, from there, where did you plan to expand uh, where did you end up selling once you graduated? How long did you stay within this Maryland kind of customer base going from there? Yeah. Uh, so I did something actually very smart when I was starting this, uh, which I didn't realize was smart until later. I, I clicked at everybody's email addresses that uh, bought from our little farm stands, um, which we didn't use really when we were operating farm stand, farm stand kind of markets itself mm-hmm. uh, and foot traffic place like a uh, college campus. Yeah. Um, but posts, uh, that farm stand, we turned it into a home delivery service. And I used that email list as our first kind of marketing context. Um, wow. Our, we didn't really have a great product at first. It was a 10 week subscription of uh, either two sizes of fruits and vegetables that were basically in a bag. Um, and we, we didn't even have labels on the bag. So sometimes we would mix up like the two different sizes. The only way you could tell the difference was between was the weight of the bag. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we, we weren't really great at what we were doing at, at, at when we were starting. Uh, but one thing I will say that has helped us today, which is uh, we really got our, our, our pitch down. Uh, we knocked on a lot of different doors. I went to, um, that was how we first got our, our, our customers, our initial customers was knocking on doors in mm. park, which is a sort of a, uh, a suburb of DC. Got it. And then I went to um, probably like four events per week, uh, either tabling or networking, or just trying to put our name out there so yep. that people can know, find out what we're doing and then, you know, get people to sign up on our website. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a, a time in business also when you didn't need a lot of capital to start a business. There were yeah. independent contractors just becoming a thing with Uber. Um, you know, you, you didn't have to buy a an expensive warehouse or refrigerated truck. Like we could outsource uh, yeah. our our operations to a farm, right, or go to their farm and and kind of do our packing and picking there. Yeah. Um, and so we we kind of uh, we bootstrapped it at first, and it didn't take a lot of capital to actually start this business. And then um, eventually we just became your know, sales and revenue driven uh, through the next you know four or five years. Wow, incredible! So, what does scaling look like on the side of um, resources? So, you started from this one farm, and then from there, where do you end up going? Especially once you start expanding outside of Maryland, you you began going uh, more national. You partner with other farmers. What does that look like, and how does that roadmap work? When we were first starting, it was a chicken and egg problem. Um, in order for us to buy from more farms, we needed to have volume. Because farmers won't just sell, you know, one case of of apples to you know, you need to order a pallet, a few pallets, a truckload. Yeah. Um, at the same time, uh, we needed to get demands 
right? Uh, in order to fulfill the supply. So it was kind of a, a dual stream. We kind of built both sides up together. Mm-hmm. Um, we did go to a number of different farming conferences at first and told told people about us and then, uh, you know, basically got our, got our name out there to a lot of different farmers. And once we got the demand side up, uh, that's when we gave those farmers a call and we were also able to make relationships with actually the first farmer we ever bought from, um, from the College Park Farmers Market. We still buy from him today. Uh, which wow. is pretty funny, just in a much, much greater volume uh, today. Yeah. Um, so we uh, we did a lot of uh, of, of grinding, of, of basically balancing to try and get um, that demand and the supply side up at the same time, which is very, very tricky. If you're starting a business, yeah. you always want your supply to be steady. Ours was certainly not at, at first. For sure. So what um, at the team size then, going from year one to two to three, uh, what did the team size look like at launch? Um, and then what were those first kind of crucial hires, especially for scaling for Hungry Harvest? Yeah, I, I didn't really know what I was doing uh, when I when I started out. Uh, I admit that I've said that I think two, two times already on this on yeah. this uh, on this episode. Um, and so I didn't I didn't know what I was looking for in terms of team as well. Our team actually transitioned uh, basically completely over the first year uh, mm-hmm. from 2014 to 2015, um, yeah. and we only had a few people. Most of our folks were. Uh, either interns or customer experience, they were working on, you know, getting marketing um, or or coordinating drivers uh, or doing you know operations and procurement. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, we moved to uh, a team that uh, we've largely stuck with. A lot of folks that were on our call it our second tier team uh, or our V two team mm-hmm. uh, in later 2015, 2016 are still with us today, uh, seven eight years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the team is 85 folks today when we, we were on, um, I guess a, a turning point for the business was shark tank airing in yeah. early 2016. Uh, at that point in time, we were seven people, four full-time, three part-time. Um, yep. we had one person doing all the operations and procurement, one doing, uh, overseeing all supply chain, one doing just drivers, uh, and then a couple doing marketing as well. Got it. Uh, and so today our team is basically split uh, about 50 folks or so are doing operations, supply chain, warehousing about 30 uh, and then 30 or, or more office and then marketing and sales as well. Business development. Got it. Touching on Shark Tank, you're about two years into the business or you are two years into the business at this point. I'm curious, what was that experience like, especially from a consumer food product, which we see a lot of D 2 C direct consumer products, but something so mass as hungry and um, kind of solving hunger. How, how did that work on Shark Tank? What was that experience like for you? Yeah, I, I never really anticipated going on the show uh, when I had aspirations of becoming an entrepreneur before Hungry Harvest. Um, yeah. I I didn't know, I didn't think that they would take like a social enterprise on the show. Yeah, um, They were actually, funny enough, they were actually the ones that reached out to us to encourage us to apply, uh, which we did sort of begrudgingly because we were at the, at a point in time where nobody was getting paid and we were very small. Um, and the application process and timeline takes very long. And it also is not guaranteed, even if you do film uh, to ever yeah. air on the show. Uh, so we did this, this whole process to apply. We ultimately got on the show. I studied very, very hard, watched every single episode of Shark Tank before my episode uh, aired, wrote down a question, wrote down a response, kind of memorized it, um, went on the show and uh, I was 
very lucky to have a good airing. Um, I sort of nailed my my first 90 second pitch. I knew if I was going to memorize that and nail it, then I was like going to have a good show. If I knew if I stuttered or slowed down, it was going to be a bad show. Luckily, I did really well. And then the point of the show actually is to make sure you um, advertise your yourself and your business in yeah. a really positive manner, right? People are tuning in to see you as the content, uh, which typically is not um, that's not how advertising works. Usually you're interrupting on Shark Tank. You're actually, you are the content, right? Yep. So um, we presented super well, did a really great, great job of preparing for it with uh, the rest of the team. And we uh, we aired, I think the show was largely successful. We had about 500 subscribers um, when we first, uh, before we aired. Then a couple of weeks that had ballooned to about 3,000. Um, we're able to hire a few more folks, raise a little bit of money, wow. uh, and then momentum just continued to build from there. So you mentioned around this time you had close to seven employees. I'm cu- I'm curious. Once that episode aired, I hear from a lot of my guests who's also been on Shark Tank. You noticed a spike in sales. How did you manage that inventory and those operations um, with your team size? We found out two weeks before we were about to air. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, December 23rd. We were about to take a little break for Christmas and for the holidays uh, because we, we we had been working our butts off all year on trying to make this work. Um, yeah. Instead, we said, cancel that. Uh, we all worked extremely, very, very hard for two weeks to get more drivers, to get more farmers, to make sure our website wouldn't crash, to setting up an event, like doing all the press release. Uh, actually, our, our press release was written by one of my friends. Right? Like, So wow. we, we did a lot of different things that were sort of um, boots on the grounds. Uh, just, we had to grind it out. There were a lot of 17 hour days. We didn't take any days off in between wow. when we find out. And then um, when Shark Tank aired, but little do we know, that was just the beginning actually. That, those two weeks were just kind of prep work. After mm-hmm. Shark Tank aired, that's when the real work began. Because yeah. then we had to start recruiting more team members. We had to start raising money. We had to start fulfilling demand for all these customers. Um, there was a lot, a lot of work, uh, but it was good work. Uh, it was exciting work. I mean, the first year of, of business, we were sort of grinding out, you know, basically begging people to sign up for our service, right? Trying to get our pitch down and and yeah. not getting a lot of customers. Um, so to see a lot of customers coming in and and having to fulfill sales is always better than having to go out and get sales, right? Yeah. In, in my opinion. For sure. So looking at Hungry Harvest today from a consumer's point of view, say someone was going to go on and place an order with Hungry Harvest. How does that process look? What can they expect? Um, and what is the regions that are currently covered as well, roughly? Yeah, we we service uh, basically the Mid-Atlantic from New York down to North Carolina over to sort of middle Pennsylvania and West Virginia, Western Maryland, uh, yep. Virginia regions. Um, and people go online on hungryharvest.net. Uh, they can uh, pick what harvest they like based on their household size, based on how often they cook. We have harvests or many harvests is good for like, you know, the, the solo cooker or for somebody who cooks for one to two people, um, mm-hmm. they can customize more of what they like. They can add different, we have like 50 different our own branded products on there, tomato basil soup and potato and truffle pierogies that are all made, made from our produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have different grocery staples on there, like olive oils and rice and pastas and chocolate bars, things like that. Yeah. Um, and then you choose your delivery frequency. It can come once a week, can come uh, every other week. Um, we have a never list. So if there's things you absolutely don't like, if you don't like kale, we'll make sure never to include that in your box. Um, and then uh, your delivery will come a few days later. So it's um, it's a pretty easy, straightforward process that we've got going on. Amazing. 
So do you sell one-off products as well? Or are they mostly those variety boxes? Um, and if so, what would you say is the best seller overall of your SKUs? Uh, our best seller is probably the uh, the our mid-sized harvest. That's called the full harvest. Yeah. Um, that people customize and add our. So my personal favorite, and also our best seller uh, in terms of branded products, is our apple cider and our dried mango. Both mm. are really really good. I am a yeah. sucker for Trader Joe's dried mango. Um, yeah. And I was like basically addicted addicted to it until we came out with our dried mango. And I I swear uh, our dried mango competes or is better uh mm -hmm. it is really really good um it is i i order a few a few different packs uh every single week um we also have our our uh r&d team our branded products team does a really good job at innovating so we're coming out with new products basically every a, a handful of new products every month mm -hmm. um and so I, I always love you know trying our product that's actually my favorite part of my job is getting to we call them sample parties where we'll go to the warehouse and like sample the next oh, iteration awesome. of branded products but yeah, our our full harvest or mid-size harvest um is probably our most popular product. And then we average uh people average ordering, you know, um probably five or six different grocery items in addition to the produce that comes in there. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Uh looking ahead to the future for Hungry Harvest. Um, do you focus on staying or what what is the projected on the East Coast or do you see West Coast, uh Midwest? What does that look like if you could share? Yeah, we I think we're we're really gonna stick on the East Coast. Um, yeah. at least for the next few years. Uh, I think there's economies of scale to be had here. We, sure. we did attempt to a scale beyond a scale beyond the East Coast in years past. We were in Detroit previously. We were in a couple other cities. Um, it took a, it was very hard on the supply chain to expand to the other cities. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think we, we basically shrunk down. We're just in the mid Atlantic. We're going to expand region by region, basically in proximity to where we are today. So yeah. um, that's kind of the, the next iteration of Hungry Harvest. Yeah. I will say uh, that's just for our consumer products. Um, we also have expanded into a few different other lines of business. Mm -hmm. We also do uh, food as medicine, where we will do contracts with hospitals, with insurance companies, with food banks um, to basically provide their clientele or their, their patients with produce mm. prescriptions um, that has wow. really taken off over the past five years. And then we do wholesale produce as well. So we sell to restaurants, commissaries, um, food banks, uh, food processors, other wholesalers uh, as well. So we we have we have our hands on a lot of really high quality, uh, affordable and cheap produce. And we can pass on all those savings you know, in bulk to a lot of different food companies. Um, so we've expanded to a few different lines of business uh, yeah. and uh, we're, we're excited to kind of expand, keep expanding those lines of business as well. I love it. So I'd like to conclude each episode with this. If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way, uh, what would you say that would be? Um, I think uh, something I've learned is um, it, everything is an experiment and a problem to be solved. All The entire entrepreneurial journey from ideation to when you either close down or sell your business or exit your business, whatever it might be, that whole thing is is an experiment and a journey. You never know when you're going to fail. Uh, you never know when you're going to succeed. The only thing you can do is continue to try and problem solve and continue. And the the key phrase there is continue continue to try. Yeah, it is uh, the the biggest thing. Too many entrepreneurs give up uh, way too early. Um, some entrepreneurs don't know when to give up. Actually, which is the other the flip side of that of that problem. But um, yeah. I I do think experimentation is is really a big thing mm -hmm. uh, 
And the other the other thing I've learned, uh, one of the biggest regrets I had was not fo- not focusing on our culture, our team early in the business. I mm. should should have done that from day one instead of did that from like year two. Yeah. And so I think we could have avoided a lot of pitfalls uh, had I started on that from from day one. For sure. Well, Evan, thank you so much for joining me today. And yeah. to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Hungry Harvest at HungryHarvest.net. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Evan Lutz of Hungry Harvest. I want to say thank you for listening and also thank you to our closing sponsor, STK Steakhouse. As you know, I was in New York City last week for the New York Stock Exchange and I had to find something great in Lower Manhattan to eat. So I found STK Steakhouse, offering modern steakhouse and chick lounge into one vibe dining experience. Overall, the food was incredible. If you're looking for a fine dining experience, but also kind of that lively city feel, I highly recommend STK Steakhouse. My server was incredible. The food came out hot, ready, and very well prepared. Almost felt like a Michelin star restaurant but also felt very casual and comfortable to be in there. I tried a variety of their options, and overall, you're going to get very gourmet-style dinners without the price completely hitting into your wallet. So if you're in Lower Manhattan or any other cities that they offer, make sure to check out STK Steakhouse at stksteakhouse.com. That's stksteakhouse.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would... Leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small on social platforms and make sure to subscribe to our email so you don't miss anything on Starting Small Summit, more podcast episodes, or our online blog. You can find that link in this description.